The Nationals are back home, and Walters is the place to be. Swing by before the game for a cold one, or come afterwards to catch late-night NBA playoffs. Head over to waltersdc.com slash reservations to secure your reservation for this week. Saturday, UFC 263 will be shown on Walters' massive TV, so make sure you plan to stick around after the Nationals game. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Scherzer over the head, the kick and the 2-2. Fastball just missed. Knee high and inside a full count again. Three balls, two strikes. Nice one of that one at 96 miles an hour. And but Turner's Max, coming some, in some, toward the wrong, mound. Something's yeah, wrong Max. with Max. On that last pitch, he kind of fell off to the first base side. And then he just did like a... A one-legged squat out to the to the left, so yeah, he definitely that, felt something. Yeah, to me, that would indicate a groin, possibly. Pitch. Swing a high fly ball to left on a slider. Schwarber back to the warning track. This one carrying, and he leaps at the wall. It's gone. Just into the Giants' bullpen. A soaring fly for Posey on a night where the ball is carrying to left field. Here comes the three and two. Swing a high drive, left center field. Way back goes Talkman. This one carrying back to the wall. He leaps and he caught it. He robs him of a home run. Talkman goes over the wall to Rob Soto of the game tying homer. The Giants' bullpen goes crazy as Mike Talkman makes the play of the night. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, June 12, 2021. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off. He'll be back with us on the next installment of the Nats Chat podcast. And so I'm joined by the producer of the pod, Tim Shovers. And Tim, Friday night was set up to be such a great night. Game one of an 11-game homestand, the first game for which 100% capacity at Nationals Park has been permitted since the start of the pandemic. Ron Rivera throughout the ceremonial first pitch. Max Scherzer was pitching, and instead, disaster ensued. A one nothing loss, another shutout loss for the Nats, and this time, it's a game in which Max Scherzer lasts for just one out and 12 pitches. So much for our wonderful Friday night. Al, it was such an encapsulation of this 2021 season. I can tell you later on in the show if you want, I charted out the curse that the Nats have been under ever since October of 2019, ever since the end of Parade Day, if you want. This is just another chapter in tonight. I mean, five minutes into an 11-game homestand, first time that it's full capacity since October of 2019, and this happens. I mean, just ridiculous. 
completely disastrous. Go ahead and lay that out. I'm, I'm anxious to hear that because I know some of these things, but I want to see if what you have matches up with I've got running through my mind here. The curse of the Nats since winning the 2019 World Series championship. All right, it's rather lengthy. Okay, it started at the end of the parade, maybe even before the parade ended when Scott Boris had his client, Steven Strasburg, opt out. So Nats fans don't even get to go to bed after the parade without the news that Strasburg's opting out. And immediately, you know that, okay, it's probably going to be him or Rendon. They're not going to sign both. So then a little over a month later, homegrown Rendon, he's gone out west. So Nats fans lose that. Then there's no opening day <laughs> in late March of because of COVID-19 in, in 2020. It's the first April without baseball since sometime, I believe, in the 1800s. So Nats fans are the first defending world champs ever to not get a proper opening day to celebrate the championship. Then they have exactly, Al, zero fans in attendance for their next game, which comes in July of 2020. Soto tests positive before the game. The biblical rainstorm. Stanton hits a homer right away. So all the juice from the World Series is sucked out right away. Strasburg gets hurt. Corbin starts to sink. It's an extremely forgettable season. Key boom flops for the first of two times. Now that leads us to 2021, where the key boom flop in spring hurts the entire roster, of which we're now still dealing with after this, another putrid performance from the offense. COVID cancels the opening day, day of, even though they had no issues all of spring. They have a great win against Atlanta when opening day finally does start. Usually you have 24 to 48 hours to celebrate opening day. Instead, they have a doubleheader starting at noon the next day. They lose both. Eric Fetty gets blown up by the Braves. Plus, so many guys out for a while. Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber lose their mojo from spring, of which they still seemingly haven't fully awoken from. Strasburg gets hurt not once, but twice this year out. Corbin stinks still. Soto has the first extended slump of his career. Fetty has the best start of his life, then gets COVID despite getting vaccinated. And that whole thing, of which he still has not pitched in almost a month now. And then we fast forward to this week, supposed to last night, have an 11-game homestand, first time with full attendance. That's rained out. We try again tonight. Now we get the game in, but there was threat of rain all day, which hurt the momentum. That Max Scherzer starts. We finally get some good signs. 7.05, first pitch from Scherzer. Five minutes later, he's hurt. And then the bullpen, a miraculous performance, and they still lose one to nothing. And that, to me, is the curse of the Washington Nationals right now. That, my friends, is quite a list. And, of course, everything that Tim just took us through a hundred percent true. I would even throw in something else, and this is kind of in the weeds, but it's something that's always stuck with me and really was the initiator in a lot of ways of all this. The day after the Nationals won the World Series, Trent Williams, who was holding out at the time for the Washington football team, which was not yet the Washington football team, broke his silence. And so in the world of sports talk, the day after the Nats won the World Series, you that afternoon had to shift from celebrating this Nationals championship to talking about this huge story. Trent, on the grounds of the team facility, shredded the team publicly in answering questions about why he was holding out. So, like, you couldn't even have the Nationals winning the World Series be the number one story in D.C. sports for 24 hours because you had this other big thing that ended up happening the next day. Things have not gone well since the Nationals won the World Series, and things did not go well on Friday night. We'll get to the pathetic offense coming up in a bit, but Max Scherzer is the lead in terms of what went down here. So Max Scherzer lasted for one out and 12 pitches in this one nothing loss to the Giants on Friday night. He started stretching on the mound during the top of the first inning. Davey Martinez, Paul Lassard, the Nats director of athletic training, and multiple Nats infielders converged near the mound. Max threw a practice pitch, clearly didn't feel right, 
and then just started walking toward the dugout. It was a very ominous scene. You didn't know what was going on. Um, It kind of looked like a lower body thing, but of course, you're not 100% sure of anything in the moment. If you watch the game on TV, you very clearly saw Max as he walked toward the dugout, screamed the F word, and who could blame him? The good news is this doesn't seem to be a big deal. Now, I think anything with Max Scherzer is a big deal, but Max, during his postgame press conference on Friday night, saying that he felt a groin tweak, that the ailment per an MRI exam is not a muscle strain, and that this is a best-case scenario, all things considered. Threw a pitch there to Brandon Belt, and all of a sudden I felt my groin tweak on me. When I had that happen, uh, it's foreign for me to have that type of injury on that location of, of my body. Knew I needed to take a warm-up pitch. I couldn't look myself straight if I didn't throw another warm-up pitch. So I was able to get everybody out there, give it a second, try to make another pitch. Uh, and obviously once I made that warm-up pitch, uh, it, it grabbed again in the same spot. So it just wasn't an injury that you can pitch through. So, yeah, like you can certainly glass half full it and say, well, it could be a lot worse. You know, you're not dealing with like a back issue or a hamstring issue. It's not even an upper body injury. So we're not talking about like the shoulder or the elbow or anything like that. But Max Scherzer had to leave this game throwing just 12 pitches, recording just one out. There's no way to frame that as a good thing. It just obviously could be a lot worse. Yeah, it was best case scenario because it, and to me, I'll be honest, right away, I thought it was the arm. I, or I guess I just assumed it was the arm, even though I saw his emotions and, and the things that he was stretching on the mound. Uh, and especially because he knew right away on that first pitch and Davey right away gave him the hook. So I, I just assumed arm. So to then get confirmation that it is, to use a hockey term, a lower body injury, I think is uh, as good as you could have asked for. Yeah. Now, there's a bigger picture here, and that is Max Scherzer is human, okay? As great of an all-time pitcher he is, and he's obviously a future Hall of Famer, we have started to see signs over the last few years of Max Scherzer's body starting to break down here, and that happens. Like, for a pitcher who's been incredibly durable as he has been, something like this is bound to happen. And the question has always been, well, to what extent does it happen, and can you kind of stave off the body completely falling apart? And so far, Max has done that. He's been outstanding so far this year, but I think it needs to be understood. He's in his age 36 season, and you go back to the 2019 championship season, right? During that season, you had Max with his two stints on the 10-day injured list, and he was never really the same after that. Max was lights out in that 2019 season in the first half. He was not, though, lights out in the second half. He had the two IL stints in that regular season, and he, he then, of course, got shockingly scratched from Game 5 of the World Series due to spasms in his neck and or right trapezius muscle. You may recall Max this past spring training got off to a, I don't want to say slow start, but he got off to not the start you would want in terms of availability because of a sprained left ankle that was suffered uh, while he was conditioning about two weeks prior to the start of spring training. So, you know, these have been like little nagging things. I mean, these things have not been things that have sidelined him for like, you know, months at a time. This has certainly not been a Steven Strasburg situation, but He is human and he is older. And, you know, something like what happened on Friday night, even if this doesn't end up being that big of a deal, it's still a start in which he only lasts for 12 pitches and one out. And it's, you know, it's a groin ailment, which is the kind of thing that happens to people as they get older. So hopefully Max doesn't miss much time. God forbid Max misses much time. I mean, this is a pitching rotation that already is in a bad way with Strasburg being back on the 10-day IL with Patrick Corbin being a mess so far this year with this over-reliance on guys like John Lester and Joe Ross and Eric Fetty, who we'll see back in the mix on Saturday. But, you know, it's another bad thing that's happening this season. For those of you who watched the game on Masson, Bob Carpenter said as they went to break there with Max walking off the mound, what else can go wrong this season? And he's right. I think that's a feeling that every Nationals fan had watching that moment. Now, 
the bright spot to Friday night from a pitching standpoint, and you made mention of it, was a spectacular job by the bullpen. The Nationals bullpen, which has not been in a good way here lately, was fresh coming off the day off and was lights out in this game. The bullpen ends up being leaned upon a ton once again, which is the negative to all this, is that you're right back being in a bullpen debt here. But man, what a job. Five Nationals relievers combined to allow one run in eight and two-thirds innings on 10 strikeouts. Paolo Espino, one run in three and a third innings with five strikeouts. Kyle McGowan, one and a third scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Wander Suero, perfect top of the sixth. Ryan Harper, two perfect innings with two strikeouts. And Sam Clay, a perfect top of the ninth. Tim, Davey didn't even use his A guys and still was able to get this kind of run prevention from the bullpen. It stinks that the Nats, again, had to use all these relievers in a game, especially a Max Scherzer started game. But man, what a job by the Nats bullpen on Friday night. Yeah, you know, you look at McGowan and Harper, just those two guys alone, who have spent the bulk of this year in AAA, throwing three clean innings against the best record in all of baseball right now in the San Francisco Giants. Our guy, Paolo Espino. Talk about hard luck, man. I mean, what a performance by him. That home run by about, what, four inches, it seemed like, the, the Posey homer. Of course, we were rooting for that legend of Paolo to grow tonight, and we were so close with that. And Al, you've been on Sam Clay, rightfully so. That, to me, of all of the performances tonight, and I don't want to ignore Wander Suero, that, to me, was the most important because he's borderline on the roster right now based upon his past few weeks. So I think if you're, you know, if you're a glass-half-full person, I would focus on the Clay ninth inning. It was good to see that. He needed that for sure. And that you were able to get this kind of bullpen performance without having to fire the Daniel Hudson bullet, the Brad Hand bullet, even the Tanner Rainey bullet. That's a positive, but it's not a positive that you had to use five relievers. And here you are in the midst of four games in three days against the major league leading San Francisco Giants. The one game that you felt relatively confident in from a standpoint of getting length from your starter, you get one out and 12 pitches. Again, there's like a black cloud right now over the Nationals, and it certainly seemed to be the case on Friday night. Now, Tim Shovers is the man who got us these Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts, which we've been telling you about, and so many of you have purchased already. You can get yours, natschatpodcast.square.site. I have said that at some point we need a Paolo Espino t-shirt. At what point are we ready to go forward with a Paolo Espino t-shirt? He gave up the homer to Buster Posey, so I don't know if he's t-shirt worthy yet. Are we getting closer, though, to Espino being t-shirt worthy? I've done some back-end things to get the thing started. So, yeah, I you know, if T-shirt 1 happened, that's the hardest one. So we should get T-shirt 2. But what's the slogan, Al? Is it Pablo Power? What is it? Is it Miss Iowa Part 2? What do you want on the T-shirt? That's a great question. And you know what? Let's send this out to the throbbing brain, and let's, let's get a little crowdsourcing going on this. If you have an, uh, an idea for a catchy phrase when it comes to our Paolo Espino T-shirt, because we've got to come out with a Paolo Espino T-shirt at some point here. Let us know. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. But yeah, man, Espino's done a really good job. And we, we we mock it because of the name and kind of the journeyman nature of him. But he really has delivered this year. Pablo Espino on Friday night, 50 pitches, 35 strikes versus 15 balls. And if not for the one-out solo shot by Buster Posey in the top of the fourth, I mean, three into third innings, one run, five strikeouts. Espino has been great, but the Nets' bullpen overall was really good on Friday night. So we definitely do want to highlight that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. And games on Saturday include the Angels at Arizona, Saturday afternoon at 4.10. The Angels are starting the former Oriole, Alex Cobb, who's been great lately, an ERA at 2.25 over his last four starts. The Diamondbacks are the worst team in the majors. Angels certainly feel like the play. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Not so great on Friday night was the offense. It's terrible. We've harped on this. This is the worst Nationals offense since the team got good, beginning with the 2012 season. This is a Nats offense that at least so far this season has been on par with some of the wretched offenses that you had during the dark days of the Nationals franchise. And what went down on Friday night really was brutal. The Nats get shut out. The Nats finish the game with just two hits and one walk. The Nats finish the game with just one at-bat with a runner in scoring position. 0 for 1 with the Nats with runners in scoring position. All of this happens against 
Anthony DiSclefani. Now, Anthony DiSclefani is not a bad pitcher, but understand Anthony DiSclefani is not some dominant pitcher. This was not, you know, facing Jacob DeGrom or Brandon Woodruff or, you know, Tyler Glass now or anybody like that. DiSclefani came into the game with an ERA plus on the season of 109 over 12 starts. That's a good ERA plus. That's not a great one. 100 is league average. 109 is you're above the league average, which is good, but you're not dominant by any stretch. And yet DiSclefani was dominant on Friday night. A two-hit shutout, eight strikeouts. The Nats, Tim, now have been shut out eight times in 59 games this season. Yeah, I don't even know how that's possible. I mean, when I saw that afterwards, I had had to double-check to confirm. And even though multiple sources reported it, and and I've seen it with my own eyes all season. Al, I I don't know about you. you You and Mark have some of these frustrating offensive games where you say, well, I knew, you know, the other night in Tampa, for instance. Well, I knew they weren't going to take advantage in the eighth inning with guys on. Didn't you just feel it when that Soto homer got robbed by Talkman that that was it? That was their shot? That was their one chance to score the whole night? It definitely felt that way. But one thing I kept coming back to, though, watching the game was, you know, it's only a one nothing game. So you're like, it's not going to take much to take the lead in this game. So you can continue to be bad offensively, but all it takes is for a couple of extra base hits and you've tied the ball game. You know, you get like back-to-back doubles or something like that, and you're on the board, and they couldn't even get that. Nets had two hits the entire game. Trey Turner had a leadoff single in the bottom of the fourth. Josh Bell had a two-out first pitch double in the bottom of the seventh, and that was it. One walk the entire game. Kyle Schwarber, a leadoff full count walk in the bottom of the fifth inning. That was it. You had nothing happening with this offense, our guy Starling Castro, 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Jordy Mercer, 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Victor Robles, 0 for 2. Ryan Zimmerman and Andrew Stevenson as pinch hitters in the bottom of the ninth. Nothing. Juan Soto, 0 for 3 with a strikeout. Now, you mentioned he had a ball that was hit that's a home run in just about any other spot, but a fabulous catch made by the Giants left fielder, Mike Talkman. This was total robbery. Soto getting robbed of a one-out solo homer in the bottom of the seventh. Talkman, what a job. A tremendous leaping and backhanded catch over the wall for the second out. Ends up spinning as he makes the catch. That really was a tremendous catch by Talkman. But this is what the Giants do. I mean, people need to understand this. The Giants are the best team in baseball this season. I mean, nobody expected this, and yet it is the case. And the Giants are doing this with run prevention. The Giants came into this series number one in the majors in pitching staff ground ball percentage at 47.8. You don't put the ball in the air. And apparently when you do, you get robbed of home runs, as Juan Soto learned on Friday night. But the Giants have been great when it comes to inducing grounders. And the Giants overall defensively have been top 10 of the majors this season. Came to the series tied for eighth in the majors in defensive runs saved at plus 18. This is not a sexy team in a lot of ways. Uh, Like I said, this is not a team that was expected to be really good. But this team has been the class of baseball so far this year. And I thought we saw a lot of that on display in this game on Friday night. It's not a team that scares you. No, it's not unlike the Tampa Bay Rays in that regard. You, you sort of look at them and you're like, how are they this good? And yet they are. And the Giants do things like pitch well, induce ground balls, play good defense, and they beat you. And the Giants certainly beat the Nats on Friday night. Yeah, and great defense from uh, from a fellow Terp, Lamont Wade, uh, robbing an early hit early on. And, and uh, I remember watching Wade on those great Maryland teams that played in the Super Regionals. But Al, I got to ask you this. You mentioned Jordy Mercer, 0 for 3 tonight. Two things on Mercer. One, was Josh Harrison totally scratched tonight? Because why didn't they pinch hit Harrison for Mercer with two outs in the bottom of the eighth? I didn't understand that one at all. So, you know, my only thing with Harrison would be maybe this is one of these deals where he's dealing with something. Uh, Otherwise, I don't know why. To me, Jordy Mercer 
should be nothing more than a late-inning defensive replacement. To me, he's played too much this season in terms of hitting, and I know that he hasn't played that much, but he is an automatic out. Jordy Mercer, as we speak now, 224 batting average, 237 on base percentage, and a 293 slugging percentage. His OPS on the season is 530. That is atrocious. I don't know how you have him bat in any lineup. He should not be starting games for you. Like, to me, call up Luis Garcia. Mercer should not be occupying a spot in a batting lineup with any kind of frequency with the way things have gone for him. Not just this season, but he was bad last season. He was really bad last season. He's not bad with the gloves. So, again, late-inning defensive replacement. But, yeah, on a team that's already really bad offensively, when you're giving Jordy Mercer some playing time and some starts in the season, that's a problem. Al, I'll take it one step further, and you kind of just alluded to it. I think it's, why is he on the roster, period? Is it just because he can play second and third base? Because it seems like there's got to be other guys in the major league. If you're not ready to call up Garcia, which is a whole other thing, which I hope that the Nats call up Garcia in the near future, then find a Todd Frazier or someone else who's been DFA'd by another team and just try it else because he goes up there and you just know there's no chance he's going to get a hit. And it's not like he's got some great glove, you know. It's not like he pulls it for you on the other side. So to me, I think, you know, if you're looking for some sort of move, something, and there's more drastic ones that the team can make, and we have alluded to that in many of these podcasts, to me an easy one is just just end this Jordy Mercer situation. There's no reason to be committed to him, and especially if Josh Harrison, first of all, Harrison has come crashing back down to earth in recent weeks. I've been talking about that. But if he's dealing with something, because it is odd, right? You're coming off an off day, albeit due to a rainout, and Harrison isn't starting. You know, you need another option here. And Mercer cannot be that option, uh, not with any kind of regularity. I don't get that. And it's not like you're building towards something with him either, right? He's a veteran player. You know, this is this is a, a stopgap measure for you uh, in terms of an infielder for this season. Nats themselves did have some standout defensive moments in the game on Friday. And I did want to make mention of these. Stalin Castro has not been good offensively this season, but what a great defensive play made in the game for the second out in the top of the seventh, charging and barehanding a slow roller off the bat of Donovan Solano, making a scoop and throw for the out. Good job by Josh Bell on the play, too, stretching to stay on first base. Giants challenged the play, but the initial ruling of an out was upheld. And Juan Soto, of being robbed of a home run, did then make a nice catch himself, a sliding forward and backhanded catch to rob the aforementioned Lamont Wade of a hit for the third out in the top of the eighth. Pitching and defense were not the Nats' problem. Uh, problems on Friday night. Hitting, again, was the Nats' problem on Friday night. And the Nationals shut out again. So, doubleheader on Saturday. Game one, 2.05 Saturday afternoon. Game two, 7.15 Saturday night. Each game, of course, will be a seven-inning game. The Nationals are 0-5 in seven-inning games on the season. I don't know that there's a particular reason for that. I mean, the Nats aren't a very good team so far this year. But that's got to change. 0-5, like you got to turn that 0 into a 1, if not a 2, on Saturday. But the pitching matchup in Game 1 of the doubleheader is a really interesting one. Eric Fetty versus Kevin Gaussman. Now, let's start with Gaussman here real quick. The former Oriole has blossomed over the last few seasons and has been otherworldly so far in this 2021 season. Kevin Gaussman, over 12 starts this year, has an ERA of 127 He has an ERA plus of 300. Again, 100 is league average for ERA plus. 300 is Kevin Gaussman's ERA plus on the season. We have seen how frighteningly bad 
the Nationals have been offensively against high-level starting pitching so far this year. We have seen how bad the Nats have been against lower-level starting pitching so far this year. See the Tucker Davidson loss to the Braves uh, not that long ago. It is frightening, Tim, to think what could happen with this Nats lineup Saturday afternoon against Gosman with the way he's been pitching so far this year. Al, I think of you every time I see Gosman's name. You and I had so many conversations about him when he was flopping as a first-round pick in Baltimore. I, I feel for all the O's fans that have to see Gosman thrive like this these years later. But you know, you're right. It's a, it's a very difficult matchup for them tomorrow. Eric Fetty, welcome back. And now, not only do you have to pitch for the first time in nearly a month at the big leagues, oh, by the way, the bullpen just pitched a complete game, basically. So you're walking on a tightrope, and there's another game afterwards. So... Eric Fetty, if he could somehow recreate his performance in Arizona, would be absolutely you know crucial for them tomorrow. And there's so much pressure on him for, as I said, for a guy that hasn't started in almost a month. Yeah, so that's the other intriguing part about Saturday is that Fetty is back. And I'm really happy for him that he is finally back. Although, geez, did it take a while. Eric Fetty got placed on the COVID-19 injured list on May 19th. As we've discussed, he got COVID-19 despite being vaccinated. Okay, we know that that can happen. But he ended up having to miss a ton of time because of MLB's rules here of even if you're vaccinated and asymptomatic, you still have to miss a certain amount of time. Then you had the mess that was him trying to get a rehab start in for the high A Wilmington Blue Rocks. His first two attempts at a rehab start postponed due to rain. He finally made the rehab start last Saturday, June 5th. And the other thing with Fetty is, and you just alluded to it, his last major league start was the best major league outing of his career. Like the guy was you know, relatively speaking, doing great work. Okay. Like Eric Fetty, we've been waiting on him for years to blossom. I don't know that he is blossoming this season, but we certainly have seen signs that he is. Fetty goes out there and what ended up being the three, nothing win at the Arizona Diamondbacks on May 16th, seven scoreless innings. And then just a few days later, he gets placed on the COVID-19 injured list and he hasn't pitched at the major league level since Eric Fetty is going to end up missing about a month with this COVID-19 situation. His last start was May 16th. Saturday will be June 12th. And that's when he makes his next start. I mean, that, that is criminal to me that this ended up happening to the guy. We just talked about the black cloud hovering over the Nats. You very much feel like that's been the case with Eric Fetty in his career, especially you know with him getting jerked around between being a starter and a reliever. And now that he's finally doing well this season, first, all the talk of him being yanked from the rotation with uh, initially Steven Strasburg coming back from that first IL stint uh, and then Fetty getting COVID again off having been vaccinated. But This is obviously a real opportunity for Fetty here because Strasburg is back on the IL. The Nats need all the help they can get right now in terms of starting pitching and length from starting pitchers. He can really assert himself here. It's not going to be easy to pick up where he left off, but Eric Fetty, he got shelled in his initial outing this season. That uh, 7-6 loss to the Braves in game one of a doubleheader all the way back on April 7th. Six runs, five earned, one and two-thirds innings. But since that game... Eric Fetty has an ERA of 335 on the year. Would love to see Fetty continue to do well this season. Not going to be easy, though, against, again, the major league leading Giants on Saturday. And you're going to be, even if you do well, in theory, in a duel here with Kevin Gaussman, who's been out of his mind so far this year. All right, you can always send us voice memos. We welcome those from you. You can, you know, write us, but you can also speak to us, uh, ask a question, uh, put forth a comment to simply record yourself speaking in your smartphone, and then you can email that to us. The email address, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. With another bad outing for the offense on Friday night, uh, we play for you now this voice memo from Andy in Atlanta. I have a comment or question regarding the signing of Strasburg last year over 
over Rondon. Uh, I think one of the problems that the Nats are experiencing now is the fact that they're missing a superstar, a young superstar like Rondon in the prime of his career, uh, and instead are having to deal with all of the issues that Strasburg brings and then which they should have been aware of. And in addition to his injuries, it's just a lot of the stuff that he gets in, involved in is just not, uh, I don't think, conducive to winning over the long term. And now they're left with Soto without any protection on either side of him. So I just want to know what you gentlemen feel about uh, uh, the signing of, of Strasburg and letting Rondon go. Thank you. All right, so we appreciate that from Andy. And it's a question that I know a lot of Nationals fans continue to wonder about. Why didn't the Nats re-sign Anthony Rendon after the 2019 season, going with Steven Strasburg and not Rendon? Was that the right call? It certainly doesn't look like a uh, home run of a call, at least right now. So a few things I'll, I'll point out. Number one, Rendon is having a bad 2021, okay? I don't expect that to continue But Rendon was really good in 2020, his first season with the Angels. He has not been good so far this season for the Angels. So that's to be kept in mind. The other thing is this. So it was positioned by Mark Lerner that the Nats could only re-sign one of the two, Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon. Each guy, interestingly enough, ended up getting a seven-year, $245 million contract. So each guy got the same deal, uh, albeit, you know, with deferrals, they're not exactly the same deals. But you get the idea. But the narrative that was put out there by Mark Lerner, I remember he had this conversation with Donald Dell of NBC Sports Washington back in December of 2019 was, well, we can't afford both of those guys. We can only afford one of those guys. I always felt like that was misleading. The Lerners are the richest ownership group in Major League Baseball. They could have afforded to re-sign both. The Lerners chose not to re-sign both. That's their choice. That's fine. I'm never going to call the Lerners cheap when it comes to payroll because the learners have had a top 10 payroll in baseball for years. But the idea that the team could not afford to re-sign both Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon is a falsity. It's not true. Uh, The team could have done that, chose not to do that, and chose to re-sign Strasburg. I get why. I also get why with Rendon, he wasn't re-signed. Rendon, first of all, there's a lot of conversation about whether he truly wanted to re-sign with the Nationals. So I'm not sure that he was lusting to come back to the Nats. Rendon, you know, he prefers a lower profile situation. I know that Washington, D.C. is not like New York in terms of the spotlight being on you as a baseball player. But Rendon now plays in virtual anonymity with the Angels. And I know that may sound odd because the Angels are an L.A.-based team. But clearly the Angels are the second team in that market. And the Angels have multiple other superstars beyond Rendon. When you think about Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, etc. So, you know, Rendon, I think in a lot of ways prefers that environment. The other thing with Rendon is, you know, he has not exactly been an Ironman. Rendon has missed a lot of games over the years. 2019, he played in just 146 games, dealt with a left elbow contusion. 2018, played in just 136 games. He dealt with a uh, foot, a toe injury, a foot injury. 2017, he played in just 147 games. 2015, played in just 80 games due to that left knee injury and then an oblique injury. He was going into his 30s. The 2020 season was his age 30 season. So like you add all this stuff up, wasn't necessarily wanting to come back here or dying to come back here, has an injury history, is going into his 30s. Like I can understand why the Nats chose to pay Strasburg and not Rendon. Of course, Strasburg himself has an injury history. And of course, so far, the Strasburg contract looks like an absolute disaster. What compounds the Rendon thing too is the Carter Keyboom flop. So it doesn't look good right now, right? Like if you could undo this, I think you would. Resign Rendon, don't resign Strasburg. But I think when you go back to the circumstances in the moment, especially with Strasburg coming off World Series MVP, 
I do understand why Strasburg was the one the Nats chose to re-sign. Again, if you accept this frame that you could only re-sign one, which I don't necessarily accept. I think I'm on an island right now. I'll make this simple. To me, in my opinion, in my experience with baseball, starting pitching is just like quarterback playing football. It's why you win and it's why you lose. And it's a double-edged sword. And so to me, I always choose pitching. Now, so far, the results with Strasburg have been utterly disastrous, of course. And I laid it out for us in the, in the curse at the top of this show. But to me, I think the Nats made the right decision. As great as Rendon is, and he's one of my favorite players ever because he does it on both sides with his bat and his glove, and he does it every single day, and he does it with a smile on his face. But if Strasburg was healthy this year and Corbin was pitching like 2019 Corbin and Lester hadn't missed a month without doing any math, how many more wins do you think the Nats would have right now, Al? Just whatever number comes to your head. Uh, I'd say at least five to eight. Okay, I was going to say five or six, so... But they would be over 500. You know what I mean? It's kind of just bring it back to football. Obviously, offensive line play is important. Obviously, you need good defense. And if you can't cover anyone, you're screwed. But if you have Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback, then you're going to be one of the final four to eight teams every single year. And that's how I view it with pitching. Yeah, that's not unreasonable, especially for this franchise, which obviously has been so starting pitching based and so starting pitching dependent for years. The thing that jumps out is these big money contracts for pitchers, especially just tend to not work out. I mean, the Max Scherzer deal is such an outlier. And with Strasburg, especially now looking back on it, there were so many red flags. And so far, I mean, he can't even make, you know, consecutive starts anymore. I mean, it's it's really been bad with the way things have gone here. You got to hope somehow the Nats are able to figure this out with him and keep him relatively healthy and at least get some production out of him. This is year two uh, of that contract. But yeah, there's a lot to remember with why Rendon ended up not resigning here. I'm sympathetic to a degree, but I also don't like the thing that continues to always come up of you had to choose one. I don't think you had to choose one. You could have done both. You also could have done neither. You know, there's a school of thought that says you should never sign guys to these mega money deals because so many of them don't work out. And I think there is something to be said for that. But the Nats would have gotten killed had they not resigned either guy after winning the 2019 World Series. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can always email us to Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat podcast. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Frankie delivers. Swing a long drive to left. Way back. Forget about it. It is going, going, and long gone into the Crawford boxes, and the Nationals are on the board. Anthony Rendon has his second home run in the World Series. It's now the Astros 2 and the Nationals 1 as Anthony Rendon delivers a big hit here in the seventh inning. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to buyoptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.